The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about the portrayal of romantic relationships in fanfiction, also known as shipping. We discuss the importance of romance in fanfiction, which can sometimes be the primary driver behind the existence of the works themselves, for authors and readers alike. We touch on the high popularity of gay pairings in fanfiction, especially male-male pairings, and debate what we believe even qualifies as romantic in writing. Lastly, we talk about writing different genres of fanfiction, also known as gen, and why we both gravitate towards non-shippy content these days. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, I'm here with Lani and we're recording on a Monday evening for once. It's the 4th of July, uh, which is a holiday that concerns neither of us because uh, we're not <laughs> living in the US. But uh, if we have American listeners joining in um, this by the time this episode airs, I hope you have enjoyed your long weekend. Lani, how are you? What's been up? So it's been a long weekend for me, too, because it's also Canada Day weekend. Um, ah, lovely. Also known as, like, Discount Independence Day. <laughs> and I'm going back to work tomorrow. Um, so I finished up the school year, and I will be starting summer school. So not a huge amount of break for me, but um, the weather's beautiful. It's nice outside. And, yeah, it's just that best part of the summer when the days are really long and... The weather's really beautiful. We only get a little bit of summer here, so we have to go on the patio every single day for 24 hours a day to make the most of patio season. Yeah, I mean, at least you do get summer. Ireland has been, well, it's sunny today, uh, so like I'm, it, it's going to look like I'm lying, but, <laughs> but Ireland's just never, uh, it's just, ne- it's just has not been, uh, nice this past month or something. It's just been like, 17 degrees and like very kind of cold and humid um so yeah i'm not going back to france until the end of august so i just need to like Mm -hmm. be patient and suffer through irish lack of summer uh but it is it is what it is i suppose um and anyway have you been like reading writing anything interesting I have been reading and writing a lot, mainly reading my own kind of books. I haven't really been reading fic lately, which I realize is probably mm. unprofessional of me to say on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, um, I've been reading and I'll talk about what I've been reading in the recommendation section a little bit later. Um, and I have been working on um, some of my longer stories and uh, struggling through a pretty difficult scene that has caused me a tremendous amount of trouble in writing it and I hope that when I finish it it gets some appreciation because this scene has almost killed me fair if you if you've never written combat let me just warn you that it's not easy (laughs) (laughs) I I believe that Um, I have never well I've written like a couple of actiony scenes which I found actually quite hard to write but I've never written like combat so I can definitely empathize uh, those of you guys who are listening who are following Castles, um, I posted an update on Tumblr yesterday, but I did kind of a writing sprint 
on castles these past few this this past week, uh, so I've made a lot of progress, but not enough. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it's never enough. Uh, so I'm hoping I'm still hoping to get um to get it out by the beginning of August, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. So basically today we're going to talk about shipping. Um, and I think that's going to be quite exciting. Uh, so it's one of the, I suppose it's one of the main topics that you're going to have to discuss if you're going to talk about fan fiction, right, Lani? It's, it's, it's definitely, uh, one of the main topics that you must discuss. Um, if you have never been on the internet before and you were born yesterday and you don't know what a fandom is, but you're listening to this <laughs> podcast anyway, the first thing you need to know is that fans love shipping. And unlike FedEx and UPS, fans ship for free and without delay. A ship is slang for a romantic relationship between two or more characters. I would say fictional characters, but sometimes, as in the case of fandom, which is band fandom, uh, they're not fictional. Shipping is the act of pairing these characters together in writing, in art, or simply by appreciating or enjoying the idea of these characters forming a romantic relationship. And I'm going to loosely say romantic because that can involve a, a pretty broad range of activities. And we know that fandom is incredibly creative and um, doesn't like boundaries. So that's something that you can keep in mind. Um, so Joe, how would you describe the basic ideas that fandoms have about shipping? Like what are the general norms or social practices that fan communities hold about how to ship and who gets shipped with whom and which ships are okay or not okay? See, like, I'd say for most people, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and maybe we're going to get comments about how I'm wrong about this, but I'd say shipping for most people, getting into fandom at least, is the main thing, right? Like, that's why people get into fandom, is, like, they'll have these two characters who they ship together and they want to read, like, all the fan fiction about it. Um, I think in terms of... So I think like that kind of reflects on the the social the social norms uh, that in like practices that we have on fan on fan fiction for instance like I think you know you look at AO3 and the very first information that you will get about a fic is what is the ship like in terms of you know in terms of tags in terms of things that's the mm-hmm. main thing that's the first information that you'll get um so I think like that is, it's kind of like the basis of what being in fandom is. And then I've noticed that more people, more and more people tend to kind of branch out of that main ship into maybe more gen or maybe more something else, um, as they kind of spend time in fandom. But I think like shipping is so core to fandom and it's and it's not only mm-hmm. fan fiction it's the whole fandom like you go on tumblr shipping is the main thing as well like you'll get these gifts and like all that so i think that's really to me mm-hmm. like at least it's one of the most essential things that you get in fandom yeah and i think like like i said before like we have to talk about it because it's so fundamental to fan fiction as a form of writing that is different than original fiction where in original fi- fiction, like I would say the core of original fiction is conflict and plot, where every story begins with a central conflict. Like, what is the problem? Whereas I think so much of fan fiction, and I'm not going to say all of it, but so much of it actually like starts with what is the ship, and then everything sort of builds around that. So 
you know, a lot of us, like, I can't say exactly, um, what initially brought me or made, made fan fiction appeal to me. I, I mean, I think pretty much it was the fact that, you know, I was waiting for the next Harry Potter book to come out. Um, and it was not out yet. And I wanted to read something that would fulfill that need while I was waiting. That's pretty much how I got into it, you know, and at that time that I got into it, it was all called like sixth year stories because that was like after the fifth book had been published, but yeah. we were waiting for the sixth. Um, so I don't, and like from there, I discovered all these other aspects of fandom gradually. Um, and I do think that like as a kid first entering that space, I was a little bit shocked by <laughs> Who <would> some, of, <laughs> some of the content that I came across, which by the way, like it wasn't like it is now where people tag everything and put warnings. There wasn't that sense of courtesy where it's like you have to warn people of the nature of what is coming um, so that they can make a decision of whether they want to see it. Mm -hmm. It really was just like you you looked at it or you didn't look at it. And that was it. And there was no warning. I think that was definitely also the way fanfiction.net at the time was organized, right? Because at the time, AO3 didn't exist. Now, like, there's probably ages or so lot, but in mm -hmm. on fanfiction.net you couldn't really the only way you could filter work is through ships or very broad genres like you could have like hurt comfort or things like that but it was like very very broad and then ship and that was the only thing you could like kind of tailor to your taste on on fanfiction.net so it kind of catered to that as well of like not you couldn't really filter out most of the stuff that was going to be like, you know, if it wasn't going to be appropriate for a child and stuff, even if you had wanted to do that, you wouldn't have been mm -hmm. able to like, cause there was ratings, but like those were very broad sort of ratings that also were decided by the author. So yeah, it, as a, like, as someone, for instance, as someone who's French and from continental Europe, the way we rate things, even like normal media, movies, films, etc., is a lot more, mm -hmm. Like, is a lot less restrictive than, for instance, you'd have, like, a rating in the US, uh, where, like, I've seen films mm -hmm. like Batman being rated, like, NC-17 or something, which, like, would never happen in continental Europe. So, even with, like, the best intent of the author and, like, the author really being like, okay, we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna rate this appropriately or whatever – Maybe they just didn't know the context or like rated it according to their own biases versus, you know, a kind of general bias. So, so I think it's like, it, it was, it really catered to that kind of thing as well. Yeah. And I think especially like early internet fan fiction was this kind of crazy space where really it was an all ages space where you would have young kids and old people and everything in between in the same space. Nobody knew who anyone was. Or any deep, like nobody had like a card or like a Tumblr. Like you didn't know anything about anyone. You didn't know who was male, female, how old anyone was. Um, there was very little like safeguarding and there weren't really spaces set aside for kids. So like sure, yeah. there were websites where they asked you for your date of birth and you lied and put in 1990 so that you, <laughs> cause, so that you would seem like you were 13 or older, but like you were not born in 1990. <laughs> Um, like that did not take your average 10 year old very long to figure out um and that that was just about it like there there was there was nothing beyond that that would keep you out of any given space and most importantly 
there was no alternative space for like if you weren't ready for a certain thing it was either like you consented to seeing like nc-17 material or you got nothing and that was it and i think for that reason like getting back onto the topic of ships that's why a lot of us like we were exposed to this stuff really young and this is similar to like the general like millennial internet experience which is like being exposed (laughs) to all unfiltered content of every kind extremely young and that's that's just about it you know i think the internet is a lot there's a lot more like safeguarding on the internet now than there used to be um but so for that reason a lot of us have grown up with this stuff and at this point in our lives there's like pretty much nothing that will shock us in terms of what we'll see in shipping like would you agree with that oh yeah 100 percent. like i'm not really i mean there's stuff that i'm not into like, you know, there's yeah. certain, there's certain ships that I'm not gonna read on AO3, like, you know, like, and, and that's happened in every fandom that I've been in, where like, it's something where I'm not necessarily, like, I'm not re- necessarily into that for either because I'm not interested in the characters or mm-hmm. I don't see them that way or whatever. But I wouldn't say I'm like shocked. Like, I would just say, oh, that's not something that I'm, gonna enjoy so why would I bother reading it but I think it's a bit similar to you know like there's a lot of book genre that I'm not particularly interested in and that's kind of it you know it's not really it, it's just to me that's just that uh, so it's not like I'm but I'm not gonna be shocked if like I don't know certain certain people ship certain characters together like sometimes I'll raise an eyebrow I'll be like really <laughs> um but yeah you know what I mean yeah I I definitely think you know when I was a kid some of the stuff that shocked me was not even necessarily sexually explicit content but it would just be like when a person shipped two characters that in canon canon were like enemies or nemeses and I would see that someone was was shipping that like as a Mm nine-year-old I would be like oh my god like how could you do that like that's shocking you know like when when I would see like (laughs) This is literally, this is literally how, like, tame of a, sh- of a ship could, like, shock me as a kid if somebody shipped, like, Hermione and Draco Malfoy, which is, like, not even, it's, like, heterosexual, they're the same age. Mm-hmm. He's not even the big bat. But, like, something like that would shock me as a kid. Because yeah. I was like, but they, but they didn't like each other in canon. You know, and now I'm at this point where it's like, I have seen ships that involve non-humans, buildings, inanimate objects, things that would be very much illegal in real life. And, like, I don't blink anymore. Yeah, like, sometimes I'll, sometimes I will blink. I'll be like, huh, really? Um, but, yeah, I'm not gonna be, like, shocked or be like, oh my god, like, I can't, like, you know, people do, people do whatever they want. I mean, you know, one trope, for instance, like, in... In Potter, I've noticed there's a lot of like Snape Harry fanfiction. Yeah. I think, you know, when it involves minors with adults, I think I'm kind of like, ugh. But I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna be like shocked about it. I'm just gonna be a bit rolling my eyes and moving on to, with my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not something, mm-hmm. it's not something that I'm gonna be shocked about, but it is something where I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be looking at it and I'm like, okay, that's not my jam. But I respect it. Like, if certain people wanna write it, and obviously once everyone's an adult, like, that's a different story. But, um, but like, yeah, if people wanna write it, I'm not gonna frown upon it. I'm not gonna be like, oh my god, you should never write something like that. Or, you know, but I do think, in, on, in certain 
like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, but you know, but I kind of move on with my life. So I actually I wanted to get onto one of the sort of big things in fandom, which I think if if you had if you've been in for a while, like you know this and it's obvious to you, but if you had never been in, you'd probably be surprised to find out that while in mainstream media, um, overwhelmingly like heterosexual couples are the most common. When you get into fandom space, um, it's it's so overwhelming overwhelmingly dominated by like male male pairings, also known as slash, that um I think it's worth it's worth going into like why is there this huge discrepancy between like, you know, the romances that you're seeing in like mainstream published media and like what you're seeing in fandom. And um I just want to support that uh right now with a quote from um, a survey that was done on AO3 and took some statistics about um, fan fiction in 2021, so just last year. And it says, um, this list shows the 100 relationship tags with the most fanfics posted on Archive of Our Own as of July 31st, 2021. So about a year ago, but it's not just of 2021, but of all time up to that date. There are 69 male-male pairings, 17 female-male Four female female, seven gen, which means like non-romantic, and three other. So, um, just to reiterate, of the 100 most common relationship relationship tags, 69% are male male, and then 31% are all of the other types of categories put mm-hmm. together, which includes gen, because in gen they're not looking at what gender the people are. So. It's not just a, you know, a sense that we have. It's actually been like found that it is the case that fandom is like very much dominated by these male male pairings. And I think it would be interesting to talk about like why. Yeah. I think, um, for me personally, I think the reason for that is that it was so underrepresented in media. Like, because back in the day, especially when people started writing fan fiction and stuff, like when I, when I started seeing it on the internet, you know, like you would never get mm-hmm. something like in mainstream media that even resembled, you know, like a main a main pairing that would be a gay pairing and especially male 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 pairings. And so I think like because of that, internet culture as counterculture started sort of developing those practices and, and doing that representation work that mainstream media wasn't doing. And that's kind of always been the tradition. And so that tradition continues. I think what's kind of interesting now is to see like how that's going to evolve, given the fact that we are seeing more. Now, it's not ideal and it's not like it's not what it should be, but we are seeing more representation in traditional media. And so is that going to impact fan fiction in a way that, you know, fan fiction is going to stop trying to overcompensate for you know the 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 problems that we saw in terms of representation in in mainstream media, what do you think? Um, I think there's more than one um, factor that's behind this overrepresentation. So it's definitely the case that for most of for most of fandom history, there's almost no explicit, outright, open gay representation in mainstream media of any kind. Um, that's definitely the case, and. We are not an Americentric podcast, so we are not going to go over the Hayes Code because America is not the only country in the world. But it is overwhelmingly true that, especially when it comes to media that was like allowed to be consumed by young people, 
there was not that much representation. So that's definitely one factor is this idea of compensating for people who uh, can't find this in mainstream media. Um, a second factor that I think is, um, I mean, people, people write about the characters that they're most interested in and that they find compelling. And I think there's maybe a dearth of very interesting and compelling female characters in mainstream fiction. And so some of these writers, it may just be that they want to write about the characters that they are most interested in. And when a lot of female characters are flat or uninteresting mm-hmm. or feel like they've been put in the story just to pad out the gender balance, but haven't really been given much depth or many flaws, then those characters are not really making it into the fan-produced content because they're not really compelling enough to get people mm-hmm. hooked. So that's another factor that I think might be yeah. present. Um then there's a third factor, which we do know, um, because studies have been done and, and surveys have been conducted, which is that fan fiction is overwhelmingly uh, written and consumed by women, most of whom are straight. And when I say most of whom are straight, I mean most of the ones who are reading and writing this stuff are straight. Now, um, that doesn't explain all of it, because plenty of straight women would enjoy a male-female, like a straight romance Right. Like in, like we know that mainstream sort of romantic movies and books that are written for women usually have male female pairings. So like it explains, mm-hmm. that explains why ships that are popular usually involve at least one male. I don't think that totally explains why they so often involve two males as opposed to being a straight romance. Cause you would wonder why straight romances don't seem to appeal as much to straight women. Um, but <laughs> would but, you really wonder why? <laughs> it, it it would explain why female female pairings are not that popular because mm. they mainly appeal to gay women who are a minority because they yeah. statistically are. Um, are there any other reasons? I mean, I think there has been some influence from the anime world in this. I'm mm. not quite sure, but I know I don't know if you remember that, and I don't really remember what the essence of the argument that was being had uh, was because I wasn't really in fandom when that conversation happened but I remember there was a lot of pushback at one point about women writing male male pairings and the kind of appropriation of that part of sexuality and like especially like writing that kind of pairing by women in fandom And I remember seeing posts about it being like, you know, we like basically being not saying women shouldn't write this, but saying it shouldn't be as overwhelming as it is. Uh, But I can't really remember if anyone listening like wants to send us a message about it. If like you have more knowledge about this, Mm -hmm. I'd be more than happy to read. Uh, But I do remember that conversation being had at one point. Um, but I don't really remember like what kind of came of it. And it seems like nothing has really changed because it is still the overwhelming majority of the fanfic that is being read and written. I definitely think that that's been sort of an ongoing conversation. I mean, I, I definitely remember seeing sort of debates being had about it and some sort of gay male readers complaining that like straight women don't know how to write like a convincing or realistic uh gay male relationship mm-hmm. um i find that argument troubling and i don't agree with it 
because of a lot of reasons. Um, I understand why maybe gay people might look at this and say, why is so much gay content being created by straight women, especially since they're women and it's usually male characters. But I think that question sort of fits into the broader questions about like who is allowed to write what kind of character or setting mm-hmm. or place or problem, you know. And I mean, this is always this discussion that's being had about like, can so-and-so write this thing that they haven't experienced or that some experience that doesn't belong to them? And um, I'm a pretty... I'm pretty fundamentalist about saying a person can write whatever they want. And if you don't like it, you don't have to read it. But I'll always stand up for the right of artists to Mm -hmm. write about experiences that are not their personal experience and to push themselves into territory that isn't just writing what they know. Um, I think this notion that stories have to be written by the people who have had that life experience is in general, like very damaging to art, very close minded. And I think it sort of, um, misses the purpose of what art is about, which is to make you empathize with people who aren't yourself and who haven't lived yeah. exactly the life you've lived. So I would push back against that, although I, I am aware of some of the arguments. Um, I do think when people say, oh, but the scene isn't realistic, you know, that's not how it would happen. Um, like, you're in fan fiction world. Like, how much of what you've seen is realistic? <laughs> like, do you think... How, how many military <laughs> scenes that you read do you yeah. think feature realistic combat? Like, how many... How many scenes in yeah. flower shops involve like real proper technique of floristry? Like how many coffee shop scenes yeah. lay out a realistic way that a small business would be run, including accounting and debt? Like <laughs> how many how many courtroom scenes? Yes. <laughs> how many prison how many prison scenes? Like how many police scenes? Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, you know, like I've even and the thing is, because you're writing art, you're writing fiction, you can't write reality because a lot of the times, like, real- reality is a bit boring. Like, I wouldn't write a courtroom mm-hmm. scene the way a courtroom scene happens in real life. Because you would never want to read that in a million it's boring. years. Like, it is, you know, it, most of what happens in a courtroom is boring, bar from like three quotes that someone might make that is actually interesting. So I think like, you know, I, I do agree with you. I, I think we have to be aware of the fact that the experience, people who write from the point of view of experiences which aren't their own need also to do their research and like be aware of the fact that it is important to listen to the people who do have that experience, either through research or through original work by those people. Uh, but I do think restricting, completely restricting authors for like writing only what they have experienced in the past and nothing else is incredibly restrictive and is not what art is about at all, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about this as well. And I think, you know, I, I've gone through this thought experiment of like, what if a Vietnam vet, I, th- I find this highly unlikely, but if a Vietnam veteran came across <laughs> my story online, that, I'm sorry, I just find, just find the idea of him reading that kind of stuff very funny. <laughs> How old are they now? Like 80 years old or something? They're at least, at least in their 70s and 99% male. But anyway. Let's say, let's say he comes across my story and he sends me Good some direct, for him. <laughs> yeah, and he sends me some direct message that says, 
you know, I'm offended that you would write this because this isn't your experience. You clearly weren't there. You didn't go through it. You know, there are details that you're getting wrong. But moreover, like, you have no right to tell this story. Uh, like, how would I respond to that? And I think I would probably respond with, you know, why don't you tell me the details I'll, I got wrong and, like, I'll, I'll do my best to fix yeah. them because I would love to, you know, fix the things I got wrong. But if he only... But if he didn't mention getting details wrong, if he only said to me, that's not your story and you have no right to tell it, I would probably be like, okay, well, like, I guess you feel that way and you shouldn't keep reading it, but I'm still going to write this anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I just don't hold with this idea that one person gets to tell another person, like, you can't write that unless it is a direct telling of the life of a specific person and you are that person and you're saying, I don't want to be written about yeah. Other than that, I don't think you get to say I'm in a wheelchair and you aren't, so you can't write any character who uses a wheelchair. Yeah, 100%. I think as long as you, you know, if you get anything wrong, you don't get, like, on your high horse and are actually, like, willing to make the modifications that need to be made. Mm -hmm. Or, and, like, you do listen to the people who have that experience and you do your research properly. I personally don't see a problem with it. I do think, however, that we need to also promote the people who do say tell those stories from their own experiences. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think those are multi kind of exclusive of each other, but I do think it's important, you know, especially in terms of diversity and stuff, it's incredibly, in incredibly important to, you know, promote the work of people of color and stuff in terms of, like, telling their own experiences as well. So I think, you know, but I think we can do both. Like, we can have that conversation. And I don't, but I don't think in and of itself, it's a bad thing. It's just, it's about the way you do it, basically. Yeah. So shall we move on to the question of how do writers decide what ships they want to write? Like, which characters they want to pair together? What would cause a writer to choose one specific ship and say, you know, I'm interested enough that I want to put my time and my energy into this? Um, I don't know. For me, I mean, I've spoken about it on the podcast and I've spoken about it on Tumblr. And if you read my fic, you, you will know. Um, like, for me, it's about characters. So I think romantic relationships are part of just life and our general spectrum of relationship that we have amongst each other as humans. And so a lot of times, like, when I've decided to write a particular ship, it's been because I was interested in the characters and interested in the relationship. I write more gen now, but I used to write more shippy before. And I have written, like, quite shippy content before. But I think what I've always been interested in is the dynamic mm -hmm. between the characters and the dynamic of the relationship and exploring that rather than being like, oh my God, I need these people to get together and, you know, writing like the way they get together and like that's all I want to do. I've always been interested in like exploring those relationships. And I think that has always been the case, mm -hmm. even when I was younger, even when I was like writing more shippy content that has always been the case I've always been about the relationship for instance if I give an example like when I was writing for The Good Wife I was very much writing uh, Will Alicia and the reason why I was writing that is that I was very interested in that dynamic and mm -hmm. I still am to a certain extent uh, I'm just interested in these characters and I'm interested in the way they interact with each other Um and so, yeah, for me, that's my main drive, I'd say. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you didn't necessarily start from, like, 
I like this ship. I'm going to write a story for it. It was more like, I have an idea for a story around this character, and this is part of this character's life. Yeah. There's definitely some writers who are more like ship-centric, or, or they, they begin with a ship, and then they sort of build the story around there. I would say I'm also not one of those people, and in fact, I kind of, when I started writing, I, I mainly did Jen, and I wasn't really comfortable writing anything shippy, and then I gradually sort of branched out, and I'm actually doing a one-shot right now, which is kind of my first foray into romantic comedy, but especially the part about that stands out about that is comedy, because I, I usually don't write stuff like that. And I I found as I'm writing it that I'm thinking about, like, what makes mm -hmm. something romantic? Like, you know, you can't you can't just say, oh, these people are in a relationship. Like, what makes a story give you the feeling that, that something is romantic? Especially when, you know, there's so many cliches, there's a minefield of cliches that you want to avoid so that you don't sort of trigger that emotional shutdown of, I've seen this before, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Xing out of this window. Um, so what would you say, like, what makes a story romantic? What does a writer have to do? Hmm. That's a very good question. I've never, do you know what? I've never thought about it like that because again, like, for me personally, I've never, like, really, tried to write that like I've never set out in front of a blank page and being mm -hmm. like okay I'm going to write something romantic I've always been like oh I'm going to write about this character or I'm going to write about this relationship dynamic and of course within that if you're writing about people who are involved romantically there is going to be tense moments there's going to be romantic moments and it's all about you know writing that balance and kind of writing you know writing that mm -hmm. relationship the way it is but yeah I think I've never I think it also depends on character and it it's really important to know your characters very well because something that might be romantic for character a might not be romantic for character b do you know what I mean it really depends on the context mm -hmm. and and on what you're writing. Now there are mm -hmm. like romantic tropes that, like you've mentioned before, the flower shop, <laughs> and things like that that are very romantic tropes. But I think those are kind of exercises of themselves of trying to write a trope in a way that is romantic, but that is also kind of fun and quirky and not done before. So I think. Yeah, for me, it's just, it, it really depends on the people you're writing about. Like, what makes romance is what the people are in the story want romance to be, basically. Mm -hmm. For me, um, when I think about romance, it's really about, like, what, how do you keep something feeling fresh as opposed to stale? Because there are so many romantic tropes that are stale, um, for example, like, if you've seen any kind of romantic movie, whether it's a drama or a comedy, like, something happening in pouring rain, characters being outside and it's pouring rain, like, that's so, like, how many times have we seen that? Like, or another thing is, like, someone's about to leave for the airport and then another person races through the gate to, like, make them come back, which ties into our whole, like, that's not how an airport works. Like, that's not how security works. Although before 9-11, you might have been actually able to do that. You know, some other romantic tropes that I think all of us are done with is, like, somebody pulling up with a boombox outside somebody else's house. I think we're done with that uh, permanently. So, you know, it's like, what? how can you make something feel fresh and new, but also imbue it with a sense of sort of drama and grandiosity that elevates it over ordinary experience? 
because I think sometimes when I read when I read a story that I think is trying to be romantic and is not hitting the mark, I think it's sometimes because in an effort to be realistic, people are setting scenes in the place where they maybe most naturally would happen, like at the room of a house or a restaurant or a park or a school. Um, but they're not really um elevating a moment of high emotion by lending it a setting that matches the level of intensity that you need so when we talk about like having fireworks in a romantic scene you don't literally have to put fireworks in the scene but you maybe shouldn't have it take place in like the break room of an office like in front of a fridge you know like maybe you need to find a space a backdrop that's a little more cinematic that matches the level of the emotional intensity you mm-hmm. want in that scene. Yeah, I think I think you're right. The one thing I will say to that though is like sometimes sometimes you can turn the thing around and like write the trope knowing that it's a trope and kind of pushing it to the tropiest you can push it. Like I'm thinking when you were talking, I was kinda like, oh do you know what would be fun to write is like a fic in which like all of the tropes happen. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there's like yeah. someone professing their love in the rain, and then they go to see fireworks, and like you know, and all of these things that are very tropey happening. It's raining. It's raining, and there's fireworks, and it's in an airport, and it's in an airport, and I think that could <laughs> be kind of a fun thing to write as well, and. And also, you know, like playing with, you know, having a conversation from the fridge in the office, that can also mm-hmm. be an interesting setting if you make it interesting. Like if, yeah. if you play with it, if you're, but the thing is like, you have to be aware. I think tropes, and we're going to do an episode on tropes in particular, but I think tropes are very related to shipping, let's be honest. And I think mm-hmm. they're not bad in and of themselves. It's just that you have to be aware of them. And you have to play with them. And especially, and it's the same thing with setting and like the, the content of what your characters are saying. You have to be aware mm-hmm. if it's a cliche, then own it. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, like coming back and look, I love this show, so I'll quote it as much as I can. But if you look at Peaky Blinders, so much of their lines, so much of their one-liners mm-hmm. are so cliche. Like they're painfully cliche. Yeah. But because they know it, and they're very good at like exploiting that and flipping it around so that you're actually you're actually believing it. Another show that was very good at doing this was House MD, which also like very mm. quotable and incredibly like incredibly cliche in the way that it was done, but also incredibly good because they kind of played with the cliche. So I think you can do a lot, and I think that's why like writing ship can also be very interesting and I'm not downgrading it at all because I think it's a very hard line to kind of surf and to kind of draw between like playing with the cliche knowing you're in the romance but also playing with it and owning it and being able to turn it around so that your reader is actually invested in your story are there any scenes in fan fiction you've read that you think have like really excellently created a romantic moment um well i think like a a romantic moment in the ordinary is something that i'm very drawn to yeah i guess um like finding the romantic moments in the ordinary requires you to 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 transform that setting 
and give a little bit of jamais vu or the sensation of, of, you know, it's like you've never seen this place before, even, even though it is the most familiar place. Um, for me, I, I think I tend to like a very grandiose backdrop for an intense romantic moment. So I'm thinking of the story Desperado by Fluorescent Gray. Um, and it's a, a Venus and, and serious story. And, um, one of the things that I really like about this story, which is sort of set in the wild west of the 1860s, is that, um, some of the most sort of important and dramatic moments, moments happen, um, with these stunning physical backdrops. Like, there's a scene where these two are camping out, um, by, by like a fire, um, under the, sort of stone mesas of like the Utah desert and she describes mm-hmm. um all of these bats flying out of the mouth the mouth of a cave um flying into the sky and like the wide open empty desert um and the the stone formations mm-hmm. that are uh millions of years old and then like another very romantic moment happens in like a massive field full of wildflowers, which I believe are yellow. That's what I remember, like this yellowness of the scene. It's a very happy scene. And um they're in the grass and in the wildflowers and, and these are like waist high flowers and you know, it's very sensory. She describes the scent of the flowers and the juices of the flowers. Um and then the final scene, which is uh less more like a romantic tragedy, not like a, a sweet romance. It happens in the slot canyons of Utah, which are, you, you have to Google them. They're like blood red stone formations that, the, of sort of undulating stone with like these tiny sort of corridors that you walk through where the stone towers over your heads. And the, the way she describes it is just magnificent. And she describes like the bloody sunset coming through the corridors of stone. Um, and I, I just really loved the way that when, a, when a moment was very important and very emotional, she would make sure to give you like an absolutely stunning vista that would, that would pair with it. So for me, I, I guess I'm an old school romantic in that I, I like, you know, a nice setting. No, but you know, just listening to you talk is fascinating because you know why I see I prefer like scenes that are romance in the ordinary because I don't see these things again, mm-hmm. again. Like no, but it's this podcast is like opening my mind to the way I experience the world versus the way other people experience it. Because like the I've always loved settings that are incredibly ordinary and that show character and you know like. Con- like rom- rom- romance in the form in the form of like character and conversations and things like that because that's what I relate to and like to me being in the ca- on a couch and like watching TV is a great romantic setting because that is something that I can kind of imagine but like talk to me about rock formations I'll never see them in my life like <laughs> and and so it's like for me that doesn't speak to me so it's very interesting and again like coming back to the question you asked me before about what makes romance I suppose it's also about your reader and that is not something that you can really factor in like you can't know really what your reader is going to prefer or experience it's just personal preference but it's fascinating because now that you were talking about it I was like but that's why I don't really gravitate towards these things because they don't really mean anything to me 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're coming up against your, your aphantasia again. And for, for those who missed an earlier episode where we discussed this at length, Joe ha- jo has a condition that she, like, literally cannot visualize images in her head. Yeah. Like, at all. Like, even <laughs> even if I asked you to imagine a triangle, like a black triangle yeah. on a white no, background. I, I can't like, see even anything. that, she can't visualize. So, um, I guess that's why these things aren't working for you. I, I think for me, I one thing that you said that I want to push back against a little bit is that you can't know what your reader will appreciate. Because I would argue that when you choose the shift you're interested in, that tells you a lot about the type of reader you're going to get. Because I find that, you know, people choose the shifts they like. Nobody's forcing anyone into a given shift. And they, and people tend to sort themselves by choosing their shift into also choosing the type of story they like. So some shifts are more tragic and others are more kind of comedy oriented. Some are more like buddy movies, like, like, like friends to lovers. Some of them are, you know, tragically kept apart by circumstances. Um, some of them are in the tradition of many romantic comedies, like kind of enemies to lovers. And so I think when you know about the characters that you've chosen, you kind of know what sort of reader is gravitating to that story. Um, and, you know, some ships that, especially ones that are canon, um, attract like a more traditional sort of romantic reader other ships that are really wacky and out there might attract a more adventurous reader who's going to want something that's a little bit weirder so i think in a sense you do know a little bit about what kind of reader you have based on the ship that you've chosen i know definitely that for the ones that i like they tend to attract people who like a story that involves like like an element of tragedy or something in society in, in the world keeping these people apart. No, that's yeah. I think I think that's definitely true. Uh, you can know some stuff, but you can't. I don't think you can know everything. And you can like I think you have to. And that comes back to something that I definitely believe in: is like you have to write for yourself. You have to write what you mm-hmm. enjoy, what you would enjoy if you were reading this, and then. You know, you don't, yes, it's great to have an audience and yes, you have to take them into consideration, but I think you have to write something that you would be happy reading and then the rest will kind of follow. Like that's what matters the most. And that's how, you know, re- knowing your readers, yes, you can know certain things, but knowing yourself, knowing what you would enjoy and writing that is important. Looking at my own stuff, for instance, I am not trying to appeal to a certain reader when I write something. I'm trying to appeal to myself. You can see that in Castles. Castles, whilst being centered on canon pairing and post-war and being canon compliant, is very different from the rest of the content that you're going to find on especially the Hinny pairing. Now, there are people who do the same work I do, like I'm not claiming to be unique, but the vast majority of Hinny stuff is very fluffy, very funny and all that stuff, and that's not what I'm writing. And people still read it because that's what I want to read and that's what I want to write. And so there will be people who will want to read that kind of thing. It's just maybe you're kind of reducing your pool a little bit. But for me as well, it is more interesting to be doing, excuse me, something that is very different from what I'm seeing. Like, I think if Hinny was pictured as very dramatic and very angsty and all that stuff I would be more drawn to write the opposite like for me as a writer it's very 
it's a lot of fun to kind of work on those relationships and do things with them that other people aren't doing. If it's just me writing the same thing as someone else, I don't really see the point in that. Yeah, absolutely. And someone out there is going to like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not be a ton of people, but someone out there is going to like it and think that you're a genius and read everything you write and leave a hundred comments. So, you know, we, you may not, depending on what you're writing, you may not attract the broadest audience, but if you do want to attract the broadest audience, then you should probably check the list of most popular ships. Although those also have the most competition in terms of uh, what other stories are available. So I wanted to ask a little bit about Jen, because both of us are a little out of place in this conversation, because both of us, I think, are a little bit more genuine in terms of the way we write. And the vast majority of my stories, for sure, have been Jen. And um I think Jen is a little bit, like, a little bit under underappreciated. I mean, a little bit... uh neglected no that is that is 100 percent true and it's funny because it is it's funny because jen what we call jen is actually mainstream in in <laughs> most of the rest of the media like you know there are romance novels like of course that that exists in the romance genre is the thing but it's kind of a small genre in comparison to like the rest of it um whereas like mm-hmm. in fanfic it's so prominent uh, personally, I, so I've written both in the past. I've written very shippy stuff. I've written, now I, now in Potter, I lean more towards Jen. I think the way I see it, and I've like talked about it before, is just the fact that for me, romantic relationships are a part of life, but they're not everything in life. Yeah. And so for me, that's what I'm writing at the moment. And maybe, you know, being younger, it, it was, it had so much, like, it was so much more important for me than it might be today where I've grown up and like, I've, I've appreciated more that there's other things in lives, mm-hmm. in our lives than this. Um, so I think it's definitely tied to like my view of the world in general that I think, uh, you know, romantic relationships are a part of life. They're a big part of life, but they're not the only thing there is. And so, for me personally, the stories that I gravitate towards now and the stories that I want to write now are stories that incorporate mm-hmm. romance and that incorporate it in, uh, in, in the story, but that aren't exclusively about that. Uh, so for me, for me, that's kind of the, the view that I've taken, at least in like the content that I've put out in the past two years. Yeah, I, I guess for me, I'm always looking for like the next challenge and for the hardest thing and a thing that seems impossible. And in the past, you know, I, I had a lot of stuff I wanted to write that explored other kinds of relationships, most notably like childhood friendships, parent-child relationships, those, those kinds of non-romantic relationships. But I, I guess I became interested in romance because it seems like everyone is trying to do it. It's very hard to do it well. You know, there's a lot of schlock. There's a lot of badly written romance. And that's why it seemed mm-hmm. like the sort of challenge that I wanted to tackle was like, could I do it? Could I make this thing, which often feels so stale? Could I make it feel fresh? Um, I, I will say that I think sometimes there's two things that can, I think, suck all the air out of a story and make a story all about that one thing and kind of kick all the other things out of the way of the story. And the first one is shifts and the second one is drugs and drug addiction. And I'm careful about if I'm introducing a romantic element or drugs in my story, 
is this thing going to hijack the entire narrative and make it all about that one thing? And so, like, there has to be a decision early on, mm-hmm. like, how important is this relative to the other aspects of the story? Um, so that I'm not sort of setting up this expectation that this is a romance story and then people are getting disappointed because I'm talking about these other things. Um, but yeah, definitely for me, like I see it as an, a special challenge because it's so prevalent mm-hmm. and it often feels so stale or boring to me. Like how, how can I add something to that that's new? Yeah, I think, and I think that's a very interesting point that you're making. It's, I think the thing with, for me personally, it's also that my stories have gotten larger than what I used to write. Mm-hmm. Like when I was writing mostly ship content, I was writing mm-hmm. mostly one shots. So if you're writing one shots and like missing scenes or even if the one shot's a bit longer and there's like an actual plot to it, you, mm-hmm. it's much easier to make it about a, rom- a romantic relationship because a one shot, if it's like under 10,000 words, it's going to be about one thing and one thing only. Like that's going to be your story and that's fine. But for me personally, the stories and the worlds and the, just the stories that I want to tell have just gotten mm-hmm. larger and bigger than what it used to be. And so that's also why, like, it's not that I've let go of the ro- romantic stuff. It's that I've added all this other stuff that I also want to write about. And I think, obviously, that comes with, like, life experience and things like that. And I also think it part of it is, like, learning how to build a plot, like, learning how to build in conflict. Um, failed solutions like it takes time I think for writers I think the average writer sort of begins with making up a character and then there's a stage of development in writing where you're struggling to figure out what to do with these characters that you've created or that you've adopted Um, and then as you become more confident with building a plot that has like moving parts and different elements then you have more space to, to get away from you know purely relationship driven content um, but ironically, adding plot points and conflict, I think, actually enriches the existing character relationships because you get to see people in action. You get to see people problem solving, struggling, attempting to do things. You know, it's the difference between uh, meeting someone on a first date and seeing what they're like, you know, in a relatively relaxed context in the environment eating versus seeing them in their job. Or seeing them when they're stressed out and then you find out kind of who they really are. Yeah. I think you wrote something that I really wanted to ask you about, uh, in the mm-hmm. doc for prep. You said, mm-hmm. I like to explore adolescence and childhood in my writing and prefer not to romanticize or sexualize characters that at that age. How do you feel about it? Because I know, like, there's all these rules on different social media platforms and all the rules are different about like whether or not you should write minors having sex basically and things like that. And so how do you, like, how do you feel about that? Um, I think there are zones of it. And what I mean by that is that there are things where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm fine with this and I would read it. There's things that are like, I'm fine with this, but I personally wouldn't read it. There's things where it's like, I find this disgusting, yeah. but I still think it should be legal. I don't want to ban people from doing it, but I find it gross. And then there's that last court of like, literally yeah. this should be illegal. Like I'm calling the police. I think that 
I mean, we have plenty of examples in mainstream media of how teen romance can be handled in a way that I think is perfectly fine. You know, even incorporating sexuality. Like, there were writers like um, Judy Bloom, for example, who I think are really skillful at writing kind of adolescent romance with sexuality in a way that I think is like, um, it's literary, it's respectful to the age group, it makes sense. So I think there's, there's, you know, I think there's plenty of ways to do it that are fine. Um, when I say that I, I write characters that are young, like some of my characters, like I'm writing a story, uh, where the main characters right now are nine years old. And I have people asking me in the comments, is this end game such and such ship or such and such ship? And I'm feeling a little bit like, what, what about this story where the characters are nine? Maybe you think it was going to end in any kind of ship related content. Like, where, where did I, They're nine where did I give old. you the message that, that that's where that was going? I think that speaks as well to like the overwhelming importance that we give to romantic relationships, both in life and in fanfic as well of that is the only thing that the reader wants to know. And I think that's also why, like, yeah. again, I was saying I write them as part of life, not the only thing, because that's just not yeah. my vision of what life is. Like, it's like life is full of people and experiences and relationships and romantic or not. And But, like, our society mm. puts so much emphasis as well on, like, pairings and, and getting married and mm. things like that. That, like, I don't blame people for, for wanting that in fiction, but I just wish it was different, you know? Anyway, I think, um, it's time already for us to wrap up. Um, so do you have any recommendations for us this week? Yes. So I've been reading a novel called All Involved by Ryan Gaddis. Um, it's kind of a noir crime novel set against the backdrops of the Los Angeles riots of 1992, which followed the beating hmm. the, acquittal of the officers who were beating Rodney King. Um, so for those unaware, in real life, following the acquittal of those officers, there were about six days of absolute mayhem in uh, southern Los Angeles. Buildings on fire, massive amounts of looting, murder, even firefighters were getting shot at. It was absolutely crazy. And so this novel is kind of set in that setting and time period and then really introduces a lot of different characters who would be directly affected by those events um, and told from different perspectives. So I'm really enjoying that now. I haven't finished it, but it's very much like a page turner that you can't put it down. That's great. Yeah, I might, like, I read a book about it as well, but I can't remember, I, I can't remember what it was called. Um, so I'm going to recommend a book that I am obsessed with. I read, I wrote, read this on the plane back from London. I read it in all in one go. It's a very short book. It's about 160 pages. It's called We Had to Remove This Post by Hannah Bervoets. Bervoets. I don't know. She's Dutch. It's translated from Dutch. Uh, so sorry if any Dutch speakers here are screaming at my pronunciation. It's <laughs> a story about content review on social media and the people who do that work. It is incredibly well written. I mean, if you like flowery kind of prose with like, you know, like pretty prose or whatever, that's not it. It's very blunt, very quick. Uh, but if you like that kind of like blunt sort of quick style, then you'll like this. It is 
incredibly realistic as someone who works in that sphere. I mean, I don't work in content review in particular, but I do see legal aspects of it. It is so faithful to reality. It is about the characters and what they go through and how the work that they do impacts their lives and the people that they talk to and all that stuff and the, the, the way they react to the things that they see. It's, I would say it's not as graphic as you think it's going to be because the way the author is writing this is kind of like this character has quit her job and she's telling her story and she's tell and she's talking about how what other the question that she always gets which is true which is the question I always get by my work is what's the worst thing you've ever seen and so she says there's kind of like a morbid interest in that and so she withholds that information a little bit so it's not it's not as graphic as you think it's going to be although it it is it can be quite graphic at times but it is so well written so good and it's very short and mm -hmm. i would 100% recommend this it's amazing definitely look into it it sounds a little bit like a Douglas Copeland book i don't know if you've read J-Pod it would probably mm -hmm. come across as dated by now because I read it back in 2007. But a very good exploration of like internet and tech company office culture yeah. of that time, which is again pre-smartphones and iPads. So anyway, um, so where can we find you, Lani, online? I remain copper underscore underscore dust on Tumblr and on AO3. And I'm Pebbly Sand on Tumblr and AO3 as well. And you can find the podcast if you have any feedback, suggestions of topic for next episodes or anything you want to share with us or if you want to be, you know, featured on podcast yourself, uh, let us know. Our ask boss is, our ask box is open and it's the fanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.